Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to an afternoon edition of The Chaser Report. Today, the backside of television, Xander Shavaniv and I, Dom Knight, will interview the wonderful Mitch McTaggart about his show that goes on a comedic journey through some of the most ridiculous moments on Australian television. That's in a moment on The Chaser Report. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Chaser Report. Now with extra whispers. Joining us now is the presenter of the backside of television, Mitch McTaggart, whose latest show looks through the history of Australian TV through a fascinating lens. Thank you so much for joining us, Mitch. Hello, everyone. How's things been, Mitch? Have you finished shooting the 2021 wraps yet? Uh, just about. There's one tiny little pickup shot, uh, pickup shoot uh, this weekend, depending on how disastrous December is. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that like striked me about the backside of TV was just like the stark color co- contrast and how just how vibrant it looked. That's good. I mean, we want it to look interesting because I feel like, um, you know, Media Watch has a certain kind of mature look, I guess. <laughs> and so we wanted to kind of go the opposite of that. Yeah. Because this, I mean, like the, the whole third episode of the series is very much focusing on how like TV has kind of gone past millennials. Yeah, I, I guess the colours keeps everybody engaged. <laughs> it's like dangling a little carrot in front of everybody. How did the backside of TV come to light and how did you get into doing this Charlie Brooker wrapped S style show? I had done a version of it on Channel 31 in Melbourne uh, in 2019 and that was just completely out of boredom. And <laughs> then... We, because uh, we had that pilot essentially, we just kind of showed that to SBS and said, Hey, you want this? And they were like, Yeah. <laughs> and off we went. And that was fun. It just kind of happened that way. I, I feel like we came across at the, came along at the right time uh, because there's kind of that appetite for this kind of content. But there's also a gap in the market for it because with a lot of the end of year specials, especially, um, mostly covering politics or world events or world TV, but no one's specifically focusing on Australian TV, which I feel is interesting, right? <laughs> and certainly plenty to kick in that subject matter, Mitch. Like as in me physically kicking television? If you need to. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's a pretty target-rich environment, isn't it? Look, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, there's still a lot to like about it. And, and some of the feedback that I've been getting on it was that it was, I, I'm like not interested in saving TV or glorifying it that I want to destroy it or whatever, which is really not true. Like, I think it comes from a place of love because it wouldn't be a show about TV on TV if if I hated it. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of effort you have to put in to make this show. Like, how many hours and hours and hours of Australian TV did you have to watch to write this? Oh, my God, so much. It's just... <laughs> uh, the the most frustrating thing about researching for a show like this is that you could watch literally hours of stuff and come up with diddly squat for stuff for a segment. And so then you just have to abandon it because like I, I watched hours of a show, I can't remember what it was now, that that may have had some kind of relevant clip in it. 
and didn't. And then it was just, oh my, like you grieve. You go through this phase where you're just upset about it and, and you're like, I've just wasted my life doing that. It's not even like, oh man. Anyway. I remember, yeah, back in the days of um, Chase shows with a lot of clips, we'd watch the whole of breakfast television um, like every single moment that happened collectively, someone would watch for, and I did a few, you know, sunrises and even watching it on kind of as a video file that you've recorded, um, and skipping the ad breaks and all that. It was just, it was like panning for gold. And there was so often no gold in three hours of morning television. It was just brutal. Oh, absolutely. And I actually, side note, I remember this article by Ben Jenkins, who, um, I think at the time was working for you guys. Yeah, and his first had, job in TV, we, we broke him by making him watch all of Sunrise. Well, absolutely. And so he he wrote this article, which just is burned into my head, where he essentially articulated his nervous breakdown as a result of having watched all of the, the breakfast television. He was essentially watching 12 hours of breakfast TV each day <laughs> at double speed That's or right. triple speed or however he did it. And I just, I, I admire that dedication. And I mean, we can all understand and, and respect that essentially. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it was back when they were doing that current affairs segment that we used to do. And, and he used to just have to, basically we'd record six months worth of sunrise and um, the today show and all the, all, all these other weird ones at the time, like on channel 10 that died a quick death. And so the team would have to watch the entire thing, high speed looking for one particular thing. And, but we'd actually then go and categorise each kind of clip so there were examples of like lame self-promotion or a crappy throw from one thing to another. It was the most painful possible way to make television. And Mitch and I can't believe you've embraced it. It will do your head in. Uh, and I'm not sure about the kind of resources that you had, but I, I feel like you you guys had a lot more at your disposal and a lot more people, whereas I think it was just me and the internet in a oh lockdown. Gosh. So <laughs> Yeah, no, we definitely it's, did. Uh, and, which is so limiting and and which I think is one of the reasons why a lot of the clips just appall in quality, which annoys me personally because I see it in the show and it's like, oh God, wish I had that in ten eighty or whatever. But anyway. So are you just trawling YouTube to find these clips? Essentially. <laughs> and there's because there's I think I'm becoming more aware of those kinds of uh services that log and archive stuff because i i had absolutely no idea until about three months ago that that there are organizations that do that stuff for you which i think is how the bulk of media watch is put together yeah which that right. blew blew my mind and broke my heart and frustrated me so much anyway but um yeah it, it's it's mostly just going down youtube rabbit holes um, there's a lot of stuff that is archived on Twitter. It is an amazing people post so much stuff, so much content, especially breakfast television and just those kinds of important clips just on Twitter that just this endless history of stuff. Um, and that's essentially the bulk of it, which and, and I, I want to know that there's so much more stuff that I have not even seen that exists that is, you know, in the um, National Film and Sound Archive vaults. Oh yeah. gosh, imagine imagine trying to go through that. Oh, you'd oh. need to ju- duplicate yourself to try and. Uh, then how do you construct a narrative? Because there's this massive um, pipe of content, and I mean, we didn't have um, much on YouTube back in the day, and now you, almost everything's up there that you might that everyone ever found interesting. How do you shape that into a narrative? How did you choose the topics? I think we, I go in with a rough idea of what I want to say in a certain segment and i think it's 
largely a matter of just finding clips that kind of um, can support it. I, I guess maybe a, a, a easy example would be the true crime segment we did in episode one and the, the very loose hypothesis that true crime gets worse. And yep. so mm. I think starting with a basic enough and reasonably obvious enough thought and building it up from there um, lets more the, the I guess, the comedy and the the shitty moments kind of shine a lot more than trying to convince someone of a more impossible argument, I suppose. I, I, th- I think that's my answer. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and it's probably easier to have a, a subject in mind before you, you know, <laughs> go diving through. Otherwise, you've got the entirety of Australian TV over decades to try and boil down. Exactly. And I think it's easy to kind of, with already kind of a rough knowledge of what has happened or like little clips that you remember and stuff and, and it's kind of thinking, how can I, what's that going to look like if I germinate that a little bit more and, and, and let it blossom and where's that going to take me? And I guess in that same that same kind of way of thinking, a lot of stuff that I did start exploring went nowhere as well because it's like, uh, I don't know what this is saying now. Sure, it's a funny clip of, I don't know, someone doing a shit or whatever. But I can't, I can't use this now because it's not. You're not saying anything substantial, which is actually one of the things that we wanted to avoid in doing a show like this because we didn't want to just have a parade of unconnected, little, shitty moments. It, I, I, I like to think the show is not shit moments. It's, it's a broader collection of uh, things to make a point, essentially. Because I, I feel like all those current clip shows do that. Yeah, you know, he, he, here's a shit thing. Let's talk about the shit thing for five minutes. On to the next shit thing. Um, yeah, so I'm sounding quite negative. I'm sorry. No, one of the things that struck me about this series is that it kind of hammers home Australian TV's loose relationship with the truth. Like in the true crime segment, they talk about how they were just getting psychics on TV to talk to people's dead children, and then in the later episode where where you're talking about a current affair, you're looking at you know the way that these shows have stoked conspiracy theories over the last twenty years, and now we're shocked that there's that many anti-vaxxers. Is it was that an intentional throughline thesis throughout the series, or what was your approach to these different moments? I think that kind of happened organically. It all kind of ended up being this theme about it which whether or not that's subconsciously what is in my head and what i think about australian tv or or if it's something else but it it felt like we were all kind of organically moving toward that and i don't really know what that says about me or the state of australian television but i don't know who knows but it makes sense in this year i guess too um because it's one thing to look at a whole bunch of different TV clips and have a bit of a laugh, and that's definitely worth doing, and, and goodness knows we've done that before. But to then look at what the clips do to the viewers is a whole extra dimension and going, well, has this actually made us susceptible to conspiracy theories? Has it um, changed our relationship with the truth? And this notion of us being post-truth is something that we've seen play out in, at a time when you know, every weekend people take to the streets to, to complain about public health measures that save lives. So, I mean, I think it, it's way more ambitious, isn't it, to, to actually look at the impact of TV rather than just looking at TV in isolation. Yeah, totally. And I think there's not enough being said about what the impact of TV is because, I mean, I can't say what that is. I, I don't think anyone can comprehensively say w- what it is, but 
it is definitely doing something. It has to be doing something. And I think the more we talk about it and the more we peel back the layers and, and analyze it, the better because TV is pretty powerful. And I don't think enough people kind of grasp that, especially people who might be the ones going out and protesting and all that kind of stuff, not maybe understanding where their influences have come from and mm. not really paying much attention to it, which I think is quite worrying ultimately as well. And a lot of people say that in America, you know, Fox News has been essentially creating these these little bubbles that people live in um, separate from facts about who win elections and things like that. What um, were some of the favourite moments in terms of conspiracy theories back in the past that you unearthed? What were the ones where you really went, oh, my God, that's gold, that's going in? I think for me it's the fluoride stuff because around 2010, around around-ish there, uh, Mount Gambia was one of the last areas of Australia or at least South Australia to um, start fluoridated water. And that just began this influx of stories from today tonight about fluoride is toxic, blah, 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 blah. And just watching them back even now, just like, what are you doing? Why, why did that happen? And it's, it's only 10 years ago that, I mean, really 10 years ago, that's, that's mind boggling. Baffling, and I, I, I don't, I, I just don't get that. That I guess it's a fear of change. That the fact that in that kind of localized area, that something was changing, and therefore that must be bad. And he, let's do a lot of stories on it. But also, I'm uh, honestly still speechless about it. it. And I wish I found more footage about it because um, the only stuff that I was able to find about the anti-fluoride stories and stuff were uploaded by anti-fluoriders oh wow you know why that is that's because big fluoride has gone through and deleted all of the primary evidence 100 percent, absolutely and th- that's with the conspiracy stuff um a lot of the things that i was able to find was only because they were preserved by the people who agree with it not people oh, wow. who disagree just mad it's that whole it's like watching that whole concept of merchants of doubt playing out in real time you know, and that that's the fascinating thing I find about this series is that, you know, you talk about like the anti-vaccine movement being proven that the scientists that they're interviewing have been proven wrong multiple times or their work has been um, identified as lousy or poorly researched. Yet five or six years later, a current affairs is still pulling out these people so that they have an opposing side that they treat as equally as a verified medical opinion. It is frankly lazy journalism and i don't understand why we keep doing it in that the arguments don't those kinds of arguments don't exist because they're not arguments it's just because you're bringing on someone to oppose the other view i mean why are we doing that why does that always happen like you could argue the most preposterous thing some would say we are already doing that and then just have anyone to counter it and then apparently that's journalism you've done a story now Oh, by the way, Mitch, sorry, at at the end of this episode, we're going to talk to someone who thinks that your show is all false. Um, (laughs) Which would be incredible. (laughs) Can I? I, I'm so into that. My God. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, 
all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Chaser Report. Less news, more often. But then that's the thing. It's not really about the fluoride, is it? It's about the notion of government and they're keeping something from you. And this is the stuff that loosens our bonds of trust and of belief in the system. And one small thing happens and then before you know it, you're doubting the very nature of science, right? I mean, then I feel like that's happened a lot in the past few years, perhaps with climate being a bit of a gateway for a lot of the people who we, we see on the streets, is that people just don't believe evidence and fact anymore. It's, it's, it's pretty scary. Absolutely. And I think the, one of the key takeaways for me from making this series is that I don't think anything that I've presented in the series is due to any kind of deliberate uh, maliciousness from networks or executives or whatever. I, I genuinely believe that what has happened in Australian television is largely a result of a grab for ratings and incompetence. <laughs> I, I, honestly, no, I, I know it sounds like a joke, but it's it really... I don't think there's enough um, coordination with people who are higher up who can make these kinds of decisions to really coordinate something meaningful. I think we've just evolved on autopilot to get to a point like this. Isn't that always the case, though, that given a choice between incompetence and and the vast conspiracy, it's almost always incompetence? And particularly having worked in the Australian TV industry somewhat, uh, it's a pretty compelling argument that it's just hopelessness. Yeah, it's it's people saying yes to things that they probably shouldn't have, but don't think about anything down the line because why would they think about that down the line? They just need to keep their jobs now, and then all this shit starts kind of coming through the door. You're just going yes, 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 yes. People are saying yes to things to put their faces on, like in front of stories, which is why we kind of pointed out the actual hosts of like sixty minutes and and because I think there needs to be accountability there, but there isn't because they're just saying, yeah, I'll put my face to that. That's fine. There won't be anything to come out of that. Like that won't be bad, but it, it's just a slow kind of, I was going to say Jenga. That's where you stack things up, right? Yeah. 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 It's a slow kind of Jenga kind of scenario. I think. How have we not had a Jenga reality TV show? <laughs> oh my God, there will be. We're doing snacks now. <laughs> <laughs> With chocolate bars or something. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I also the, the notion of networks ripping each other off is um, is a particularly brilliant thing to go and and look down. What were some of the juiciest examples on that? Oh, the thing that baffles me with that is that all the examples we pointed out were ones where they were up against the original show in literally the same time slot. It's like why? <laughs> like it's one thing to rip off a show, but it's another thing to just bang it on against each other. Like I don't I don't get that. And just do something else. <laughs> I, uh, but the, I guess the, the dumbest example would have been the one that we talked about in the most detail was Cops LAC being put on against the same time as Rush was because they just wanted another cop show there. But I feel like kind of bringing the incompetence angle back in again because the, I guess there was this assumption that just because it's a cop show at that time slot, it will succeed. <laughs> and uh, why? It, like there's no accounting for the factors to whether or not it would be good 
It'd be fascinating to go back, wouldn't it, and actually interview the programmers who make these decisions because I'm sure oh. you would find an absolute void of any strategy and they'd just be bullshitting basically about what, oh, oh you know, there's a very deep-seated love in the, in the viewership of cop shows at this particular time and then someone puts another kind of show on it's like, oh, amazing, yeah, there's obviously, you know, it's, it's just bullshit is at a very high level getting paid a fortune. Absolutely. It's people holding onto their jobs and not thinking about the tomorrow. I think is probably the best way to summarize what I feel is the executive level of television. I think my favorite example of that was that very strange period. I feel like it was in the early 2000s when every commercial station had this basically completely fraudulent late night call in show like Quiz Mania and Up Late with Hot Dogs and all. And they were basically spending hours and hours with the dumbest and most boring quiz question, like a question that any three-year-old could answer. And then somehow, I don't know, I can't remember the mechanic, but they just had three or four hours of people just blathering and getting people to call in these very expensive premium numbers to hope that they'd win a, a quiz. And then none of them ever got through. It was, that was amazing. And I think I definitely want to meet the hosts of that show and admire their stamina for just being able to yeah. go on about it. And I, it actually reminds me of a clip that um, I think it was the war on everything because that was would have been peak yeah, yeah, uh, we- quiz show where um, you found the clip of someone ringing the wrong network to answer the question <laughs> on the other network. It was an amazing piece of television. Because it's you know late night quiz show, it's like who who cares about that now? And I I really wanted to use that clip. I had actually marked it, but I thought, ah, oh, no, Chase has already done it. I'm not gonna, um, I can't reuse it because it's already. Um, oh, you can reuse our version of it and um, comment on it. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. No, 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 no. I like. I think that also goes into the rules of of the show, and that if it's kind of already been uh, comprehensively covered by. Yeah, another yeah, yeah. show like you know your media watch and your sean mcarthur and all that kind of stuff generally we don't want to touch it we kind of want to offer that um no i'm joking you've only got angle. so much time to play mm. with um of, of tv you, you want to make original observations of course you do but it's Absolutely. a t- it's a great area and they all died within like a week or two of each other oh it, it was and it felt like they were on for years because yeah. even without ever having watched an episode i mean who watches a full episode of content like that it's just i mean to be honest chaz yeah <laughs> the answer to that question he, yeah, he totally i remember being online uh like talking to him on google chat while we were both watching those things and I, it just got to the point where i was like i just gotta go to sleep but he was just mm. like can't look away <laughs> you gotta keep going it oh. yeah but it, it's funny because tv time is so precious normally i mean you got what three episodes to do this it's hard to get i mean goodness knows chase hasn't had a show up in many years although individual people have but it's really hard to get half an hour of TV. And Andrew Denton used to say to us, you've got, you know, whatever it is, a certain number of hours. What are you going to say with them? Mm. But then for shows like that, there's almost a limitless hours and, and breakfast television and whatever. So it's funny um, the way the access to television, like who gets to actually make television shows. The bar is so high for almost anyone and yet really low in some weird cases like Daryl Summers. Absolutely. It is baffling the kind of people that are on TV because they were on TV. <laughs> so there's, if you're in, you're in and it doesn't matter. And then I think that kind of breaking through um, 
becomes almost impossible because you've got this kind of like old TV, new TV um, clash of, of, of people. And I think that was most kind of articulated for me when Tom Gleason won the Gold Logie because I think he was bringing to it the cynicism of the new TV crowd and upsetting the old TV crowd. Very much so. And it, yeah, there was just this real, um, almost a war between the TV factions, I suppose, which I think is so interesting and really sets the stage for what TV is going to be like in the future, whatever that is. I think one thing you do with this series, especially as you're looking at old TV and new TV, is you kind of chart this weird fall in representation on Australian TV. Like, it's almost like you talk about how in the 70s, Australian TV is being quite progressive almost, and then we fall all the way down to the bottom to the point that Australians just outrage if it's anything bar a white heterosexual couple on screen in the mid-2000s. It's bleak. And I feel like in in hindsight, in the 70s, TV was maybe more, they were still figuring out what TV is going to be. And I think they wanted to really kind of see how close they could fly to the flame with it. And then I guess they realized they don't want to be that progressive. So they kind of scaled it back for some reason because maybe it's just appealing to the broadest amount of people or realizing that broadening it equals ratings. Maybe that was the realization in the seventies. I have no idea, but it's, it's really quite depressing to think of how advanced it was in the seventies and that we're just kind of becoming a bit more on that same level. Perhaps it's all wildly speculative, of course, because I wasn't around in the seventies, but uh, here we are and here I am talking about it. Yeah. And I guess it gets to that Tom Gleason observation of like, well, we look at our TV industry now and over the 10 years how the, a lot of the original content programming has declined or stuff that's truly original gets complaints because the people who watch TV isn't the audience that these shows are intended for. And then you, you have this kind of landslide um, effect of no one is watching Australian TV anymore and we're always talking about American and British TV rather than content we make ourselves. Exactly. And there is also so much TV being made than ever before because there's more channels of, like for Australian TV making more content. It's the, I don't understand the model here. That, <laughs> I don't think they do either. Yeah, <laughs> because Anymore. I feel like everybody's been bemoaning the quality and output of television, but that hasn't stopped, um, you know, there now being 30 to 35 channels broadcasting 24 hours a day so you've got 30 days of tv being made or being output every day and so there's just so much on but the quality of it seems to have gone down but there's more of it Mm. It i I can't make sense of that well the other thing i guess is it's funny the notion of a clip show because Certainly for me, the, the main way I digest television these days is probably in clips. It's probably seeing things on YouTube, probably seeing things people have shared on social media. And certainly shows like Breakfast Television Shows, I watch far more clips of, say, Sunrise or the Today Show, which is still not very many in total, but via social media, like on Twitter or something. So, yeah, who is who? what even is television anymore, I guess, is um, 
is, is an ongoing conversation. That's a very good point. And I, I can't, I couldn't even begin to answer that because I, I genuinely think TV as we know it is dead. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It will absolutely evolve into something else. I think we're currently in an evolution, some kind of uh, transitional phase of it, and it'll become something else. And hopefully they'll harness the kind of social media side of things a bit better because TikTok is going off. I mean, they should do something with TikTok, I guess. <laughs> like, I, truly, because there's um like mates of mine who are doing TikTok things now. I know nothing about TikTok. <laughs> who are doing things on TikTok and they're getting millions of views. Yeah, and, and it's but it's clips in its most extreme and disconnected mm. form with the, the narrative that you find not there at all. There you go. Well, we, we're in mourning for Australian television, but at least we have you to um, draw it all together and find some kind of deeper meaning <laughs> slash ridiculousness I'll, in it all. I'll do my best. And finally, Mitch, when's your end of year show? When should we tune in? January 1st. I do not know the time slot yet, but I'm guessing, judging by the uh, program classification, it'll be after 8.30. Very, very good. And of course, all this on SBS On Demand as well. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you. The Chaser Report. News you know you can't trust. Thank you so much for joining us for this afternoon edition of The Chase Report. If you want to watch Mitch's television series, The Backside of Television, it's on SBS On Demand right now. And his new, and his new special, which reviews 2021, A Year in Television, will come out on New Year's Day. So check both of them out. Our gear is provided by Rode Microphones and we're part of the Acast Creator Network. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. Catch you tomorrow morning.